Well, I couldn't help but noticing that my brother Dave Freer wasn't here this morning. And uh, I'm not sure whether it's because he's out running the Philadelphia Marathon, because I know he loves the cold weather, or perhaps he's still at home recovering from COVID symptoms. I think it might be more likely the latter, so uh, we're going to pray that the Lord would continue to heal him. It's good to have Seema with us, having recovered from her uh, bout with that condition. But um, this is also Dave Freer's birthday. And uh, so he asked me as a special birthday gift that I not sing happy birthday to him. I'm not sure why he put it that way, but I guess he maybe has lovelier voices that can sing happy birthday to him today. But uh, Dave, Lord bless you. And Father, we just uh, thank you for um, your hailing touch, Lord, on the Freer household. Thank you for Seema having recovered from her symptoms and being back strong. And we just pray that, pray that you would be with Dave as he rests and regains his strength. And Lord, we pray for a, a quick uh, negative test in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining me in prayer for that. Well, we are uh, going to again turn our attention to the teaching of God's word. And um, I'd, like, I'd like to ask you if you have a collection of 66 wonderful books with you this morning that you would begin to open up to the third book in your collection of 66. We're going to be looking again at the third uh, book in our collection of 66 books. And it's a privilege and a joy to open the scriptures with you this morning and see what treasures he has for us here in his word. Amen. Last week... We had an anointed preacher standing in this place, and uh, he introduced to, for us the book of Leviticus, which we've been reading together as a congregation, and uh, did a powerful job, and I'm tremendously blessed by what my brother Carl shared. And uh, if you were here, you re may remember that Carl uh, said that the book of Leviticus is uh, roughly divides into two uh, sections based on theme, and the first part roughly of the book of Leviticus deals with um, the pursuit of the Holy One, the, our, pursu our pursuit of God. And the second th major theme is uh, similar to it. It's, uh, it's the, the pursuit of the holy life, um, what it means for us to pursue holiness in our pursuit of the Lord. And Carl kind of focused on the first part last week. And so the title for this message today is Carl Part Two. So uh, not that anyone could ever d duplicate Carl, certainly not me. And if, if we were having a tug of war between Carl and me, I think I know who we would bet on. But uh, this, so this is Carl, part two. And um, so I'm going to try to, to um, repeat some of the same themes he did, but, but maybe develop them a little bit more in, in a slightly different direction and, and related to what it means to live a holy life, to, to follow the path of holiness. And um, so we're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 19. But before we start to read in Leviticus 19, I just wanted to uh, ask you a question. What does the Lord require of you? What does God expect of us? As we seek to live our Christian lives, what does God want out of us? What does he require of us? Some of you will recognize that this question did not originate with me, but rather with the prophet Micah. And uh, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, a verse that's often quoted, the prophet says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love mercy or kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Three simple things, what the Lord requires of us, to do justice, 
to love mercy, to walk humbly with the Lord. Those are the themes of Leviticus chapter 19 in a larger sense of the book of Leviticus that we're going to be looking at today. The answer to the question what the Lord requires of us. Leviticus chapter 19. The Lord spoke to Moses. You with me? What did the Lord say to Moses? Leviticus 19.2, he said, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Are you enjoying reading through the book of Leviticus? We're doing that as a congregation. Really? Good. I'm glad to hear that. As Carl mentioned last week, it's, a, it's an amazing book. It's about priesthood. Uh, it's about offerings and sacrifices. And it's about blood. The book of Leviticus is a, is a book that's full of blood. And uh, in fact, the only book that I can think of that's, that contains as, as much uh, about blood uh, and maybe even more is a medical textbook on hematology. Uh, that talks a lot about blood too, but almost as much as the book of Leviticus. And, and Carl asked this li- last week, and I want to repeat the question, what, what is all this blood for? Why do we need all these sacrifices, all these offerings? Did you stop and, can, and notice the repetition? You know, there's the sin offering, the guilt offering, the burnt offering, the wave offering, the grain offering, the thank offering, the heave offering, just to name a few. What is the purpose of all these offerings and all these animals and all this blood? The very simple facts that we know are these. God is holy. Leviticus 19.2. We are not holy. We're sinners. And yet, despite that gulf, the Lord desires fellowship with you and me. And we, as he puts the desire in our hearts, also desire fellowship with him. So what's to be done? It involves atonement. It involves sacrifice. It involves the shedding of blood in the old covenant and in the new. That's the only way we have fellowship with him is through sacrifice. It's through the shedding of blood. But I don't know about you, but as I read through the offerings and the sacrifices and the performance of the priestly duties in the book of Leviticus, I get the sense that there's kind of a frustration there. There's kind of a sense of futility, like we're doing the same thing over and over again. And I think there's a reason why we read the same things over and over again as we read through Leviticus, because they were doing them over and over again. And there's a, there's a sense of, of incompleteness. There's a sense of, are we really getting anywhere with all of this? And that's a good thing for us to feel that way. Did you ever have a task or a chore or responsibility in your life that you just had to keep doing over and over again and never seemed to be done? <laughs> Me too. Um, I live, we live in a, a very uh, dirty, dusty part of North Philadelphia, and we got a lot of dust in our house. I don't know if you do too, especially in the summertime, but even in the wintertime. And I have a, a tall bureau that I not only put things on, but use a sort of a standing desk. And almost every morning when I go to that thing, I have to sweep off the layer of dust. 
And then but the funny thing is, when I do it the next morning, I have to do it again and sweep off another layer of dust. It's like this dust keeps coming back. But my job is really easy because I just have this bureau. But uh, Karen has to do the piano. And we have this huge wooden object. Uh, it's kind of a piece of furniture in our living room. And what it mainly, the, the purpose that it serves is, is it's a gigantic dust magnet. So the thing is always covered with dust. And I, I suspect that there's something else that that thing is there for. Maybe it's having to do with music, I don't know. But I think of it mainly as a dust magnet. And so Karen has to dust this thing. Uh, every time she goes by, she could bring the rag and dust it again. And you know, there's, there's, some, there's a sense of futility in that. I did this yesterday, I'm doing it today. I'll probably have to do it again tomorrow. And that's a little bit the way it is with trying to um, be righteous, trying to make ourselves better, trying to do better, and trying to have sacrifices apply to us. What is it about having to do things over and over again? What good is all this blood? And, and I'd like to ask you to turn with me, uh, if you will, before we continue in Leviticus chapter 19 to another passage, and it's Hebrews chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, uh, or maybe they're, it's going to be behind me, I'm not sure, uh, I want to read a couple of verses together with you in, in Hebrews chapter 10, the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and just want to take a moment to turn there. You may have noticed that last week uh, in his anointed message, my brother referred a lot to this book, the book of Hebrews, and there's a very good reason for that. The book of Hebrews, in a sense, is a companion book to the book of Leviticus. And if you struggle with reading the book of Hebrews, then, excuse me, the book of Leviticus, then I recommend that you read it side by side with Hebrews. The same themes, priesthood, offering, sacrifices, blood, uh, the role of the priest and the high priest, and uh, getting right with God. And uh, so Hebrews, I think, is the best commentary on the book of Leviticus. And there's a reason why uh, there's a sense in the book of Hebrews, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a reason why uh, the, the, the offerings in the book of Leviticus seem to be futile, because you see, the law is only a shadow, and, and Hebrews 10 says this, the law, since it has only a shadow, this is Hebrews 10, one of the good things to come, and not the very form of those things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would, have, would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, the sense of futility, the sense of having to keep doing it over and over again. And this sense of frustration, of, of never quite getting there, never quite making it, you don't even have to go as far as the New Testament um, it, I, I had mentioned earlier the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6, and I'd love it if you could turn with me there. I just want to read a couple of verses also from Micah chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 6. Micah 6, 6. With what, the prophet asks, shall I come to the Lord? and bow myself before the God of heaven. You see, how do I approach a holy God? With what shall I come? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? What does it take to be pleasing to the Lord? Let me ask you a question. 
Did you ever try to make yourself better? Did you ever try to, uh, to just do it right and to stop sinning? Was there ever a particular repeated sin in your life that you just said, you know, I'm sick and tired of doing this sin, of confessing it and repenting and, and then doing it again, and I'm just going to quit it, I'm just going to stop. You know, if you're sick and tired of a particular sin in your life, I'll bet the Lord is too. So I'm going to turn over a new leaf, and I'm just going to not do that sin anymore. Did you try that? How did that work for you? Me neither. It didn't work. Just like the offerings and the sacrifices don't work. I just can't do it. I just can't stop certain sins. I just can't make myself any better. I can't pull myself up by my own spiritual bootstraps. And that's, that's a good thing. There's, there, there's a reason that that frustration is built into our efforts to overcome sin. And what this does is it leads us inexorably back to the question that Micah asks in, in, in verse 8 of, of chapter 6, when he says, what does the Lord require of me? And you know, we, we know the answer is to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. There are two parts of that. There, there's, there's, there's my relationship with man, my fellow man, to do justice, to love mercy. There's my relationship with God, to walk humbly with him. Those are the things that the Lord requires of us. I'm going to flip back uh, to Leviticus chapter 19 again. It always takes me time in the Kindle to do this. I apologize, but Leviticus chapter 19, again, verse 2. Speak to, the son, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is what we have been called to do, to be holy. Now, that command in itself can be a little bit frustrating because I look at my life and I say, but, but am I holy? Have I really gone there? But after all, this is in the Old Testament, right? And um, Moses commanded that we be holy. But don't you suppose that once we get to the New Testament, when, once we come to Jesus, it's going to be easier, right? Because Jesus is gracious and compassionate and gentle and loving and kind and sympathetic toward us. And so he's going to, he kind of grades on the curve, doesn't he? And he's going to lower the standard and lower the bar. Don't bet on it. A third of the way through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says this, You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Thanks for doing me such a big favor. Moses told me I had to be holy, and I can't do that. Now you're telling me I have to be perfect. What hope do I ever have of being perfect? Do you see, we're not really off the hook yet. If you get discouraged about trying to serve the Lord and trying to walk in the way of holiness, I want to just tell you one secret that may help, and that is don't underestimate the power of the Word of God to transform you. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and powerful. And there are, there, there's, there are certain themes that you'll see are repeated about what the Lord expects of us. Leviticus chapter 19, 
uh, Micah chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, chap- Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, in, in many ways are simply an expansion and a fleshing out of Leviticus 19. And these passages can be read together, and together with Hebrews. But um, if you want to live according to the principles, according to the, the, um, the values of the kingdom of heaven, then you need to spend time meditating on Leviticus 19, on the Sermon on the Mount, other parts of scripture. And if, if it's really the desire of your heart to live in these passages and to live according to the teachings of Moses and Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will find the word of God changing you. You will find yourself um, moving toward what the Lord requires of us in, my, in Micah 6, 8. And you'll, we can become together true citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's the Lord's purpose in all of this for us. And we can do it by God's grace. Back to Micah's question, what the Lord requires of, of us, Micah 6, 8, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk hum- humbly, with our God. That's what Leviticus 19 is all about, and I want to look at some, some of the verses in Leviticus 19 with you for a few minutes. And we're not going to read the entire chapter, it's 37 verses, but I really want to encourage you uh, on your own time to read Leviticus 19 and really meditate on it and ask the Lord to reveal it to you uh, and to make it real in your life, because um, there's real, real power here. and. Uh, Spend time, spend time here, and the Lord will, will teach you and will transform you by the Holy Spirit. I just want to hit a few of the highlights, and, and there, there are two aspects of holiness that are here uh, in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, and the first is a, a right relationship with God. The second is a right relationship with my fellow man, my fellow humankind. A right relationship with God, a right relationship with man. It's not one or the other. I can't choose one and neglect the other. There's a vicious rumor going around in this congregation about me uh, that I'm a bird watcher. Now, I'm not in a position today to uh, confirm or deny that rumor. Uh, I can admit to you that I have looked uh, through my binoculars at quite a few birds over the years and seen a lot of beautiful birds. I've seen birds that uh, are spectacular and soar in the heavens, uh, pelicans and eagles and albatross, and I've seen some tiny birds and some beautiful birds and some really weird birds. You know, some parts of God's creation are just frankly weird. And uh, some of them are really weird. And I, for example, one bird I saw in Guatemala has a, a, lo- a large red horn growing out of the top of its head. I'm not making this up. That's a real bird. But of all the kinds of birds I've seen, the one kind of bird I have never seen is one that can fly with one wing. You can't do that. And it's the same way with the way of holiness. You can't just choose to focus on your relationship with God and neglect your relationship with other people that God has put you into contact with. Nor can you do the other mistake, which is is focus just on your relationship with humankind and neglect a relationship with God because uh, neither of those things will take you on the path of righteousness. But I want to look at a few principles of each side. Um, 
our relationship with God, our relationship with our fellow men in, in Leviticus 19, and ask you to turn with me to a few different passages. And starting off with our, first of all, with our relationship with God. Leviticus 19, chapter 2, uh, excuse me, Leviticus 19, verse 2, which we have already read. The, the first and, and fundamental fact that we need to be, be aware of in our relationship with God, we've already read, and Carl emphasized for us last week, which is, this is what the Moses said with instructions to tell the sons of Israel. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It almost seems too simple to say, but the Lord is holy. He wants us to be holy. He didn't say he wanted us to be sinless. And sometimes I think we make that mistake and we think, well, I've got a lot of sin in my life, so I could never be holy. There's only one human being who has ever lived the face of the earth who was truly sinless. Our aspiration is to be like him, but we are not him. But the Lord has called us to be holy. And, and, and by holy, I think chiefly what's meant here in Leviticus 19.2 is set apart, devoted to a particular purpose. Thinking of the, the implements and the tools that were used in the temple, in the, in the tabernacle, um, they were holy to the Lord. It wasn't anything holy about the silver or the gold or the acacia wood. What was holy was that they, they were devoted to the Lord. They were set apart for his purposes. And that's what the Lord wants of us. He expects us to be holy, to be set apart for his purposes. And um, it's really his calling on us. And I, and I think that, that the clearest understanding of what this is about in the scriptures that I can think of, at least right now, is the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11 and 12. At the end of chapter 11, um, Paul says, referring to the Lord, from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable spiritual service of worship. And furthermore, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what God's will is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I think that holiness for you and me means being set apart, means presenting, presenting ourselves to the Lord. I present myself to you, Lord. That's what makes me holy. And furthermore, I'm, I'm planning to not be conformed to this world. The second aspect of, of, a, of a relationship with God, I believe, is renouncing idols, casting aside idols. So look with me, if you will, at 19, chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 4, Leviticus 19:4. Do not turn to idols or make for yourself molten gods. I am the Lord your God. I love the way he refers to idols as molten gods, you know, things that are shaped and formed by human hands, out of metal, out of, out of physical objects, molten gods. Don't make any molten gods. Don't turn to them. This is, the, of course, um, the, the second of the, of the great commandments, of the Ten Commandments in uh, Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image of anything in the heavens above or on the earth beneath or the waters under the earth. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God. This is the second commandment. Renouncing idols, turning away from them. These molten gods. You got any molten gods in your life? What are the things that trip me up as I'm trying to walk toward holiness? What are the things, the people, the causes, the relationships that I frankly love more than I love the Lord? At least if I look at the amount of time and energy and money and, and, and life force that I spend on these things, these are my idols. And I think you probably know what some of your idols are. And if you've renounced them, do it again. And if you don't know what your idols are, ask the Holy Spirit. Or if you don't know what all your idols are, there's probably some I'm missing. Holy Spirit, would you show me what they are so, I, so that I can pronounce them? Holiness. I think the third principle that I see repeated uh, here in Leviticus chapter 20 about holiness is another really, really simple one. And simply knowing he is the Lord. He is the Lord. Leviticus 19.3. In relationship to honoring parents, he says, um, reverence your mother and father, keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. We just read at the end of verse four, don't make molten gods. I am the Lord your God. Flipping ahead to verse 10, Leviticus 19.10. In regard to showing um, to, to loving the needy and strangers. Why should we do this? Because I am the Lord your God. Verse 37, the, the concluding verse, the capstone verse of Leviticus 19. You shall do all of these commandments, all these ordinances and statutes that I'm laying before you today. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. Because I said it. That's why I expect you to do it. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. And it's, it's almost too simple, but, to, but, but who really is sitting on the throne of your life? The day that you made Jesus Lord, you hopped off and you put Jesus on the throne of your life, but have you pushed him aside a little bit and climbed back on again? Who is the Lord of my life? Not years ago when I first made, accepted Christ, but today and in this hour, who is the Lord? The Apostle Peter puts it really clearly and succinctly as he does, does so many things in, in 1 Peter 3.15. I think it's 1 Peter 3.15. He says, sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord. Sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord. Set him apart as Lord. So the three principles, my relationship with God. Um, setting him apart as Lord. Setting him apart, renouncing idols, knowing that he is the Lord. There are four principles that I noticed about the second wing. That part of righteousness, that part of the pursuit of holiness that has to do with my relationship with other people, with my fellow man, which is also essential and vital. And the first principle that, that I see, and I know you'll see others as you read this passage, this beautiful chapter, Leviticus 19, on your own, but the first that I see of four is the, is the showing of honor. Leviticus 19, four, which I already mentioned in passing. Leviticus chapter 19, verse four. 
Sorry. I think, I think it's verse 3. I'm sorry. Verse 3. Leviticus 19.3. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, because I am the Lord. They say charity begins at home, but reverence and honor also begin at home. The first commandment with a promise, as it's described, that it may, may be well with, well with us and we may live long in the earth, is honoring father and mother, because he is the Lord, honoring our parents. Show me someone who dishonors their father and their mother. I'll show, I'll show you someone whose life is in disarray. Honoring parents, showing them esteem, reverence, respect. And it's not only parents. In verse uh, 32 of this chapter, which I won't turn to, but you can, uh, Leviticus 19.32, it says to rise up before the gray-headed. And it says to show reverence to the aged, because I am the Lord. Those who are deserving of respect. But I don't think, it, I don't think the principle of showing honor and reverence applies just to old folks. I think it applies to everyone. I think that the Lord expects us to treat every single person that we know with dignity, with honor, with respect, uh, with, with courtesy, and with care and compassion. This honors the Lord, and um, this is what the Lord expects of us. And I think, I don't know if it's just me or if you feel this too, but I feel like our society is becoming more and more rude as we go along. You hear and see people, you know, saying nasty things to each other, making obscene gestures, even high government officials using foul language and cursing other people and uh, showing disrespect. Every single person on this earth has been made in God's image. And if I have a relationship with them, the Lord expects me to treat them with honor and not with cursing. The Apostle James, that, that pithy New Testament writer, talks about this, about, about uh, not cursing. And he says, how is it that with the same tongue I bless God and I curse men who are made in the image of God? He said, brothers, these things ought not to be. Let's let the rest of our culture do it, but we're not going to participate. We're going to not be conformed to this world in that way. We're going to show honor. Second characteristic of righteousness as it pertains to holiness and walking in my relationship with other brothers and sisters, other people, is showing care for the needy and for the stranger. Showing care for the needy and the stranger. Leviticus 19 Verse 10, he's talking about crops and what people do with them when they reap their fields. And he says in verse 9 that you shouldn't reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleanings. Verse 10, nor shall you glean in your vineyard and gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God the needy and the stranger. How do we treat them? How do we look upon them? Well, look, you know, I make money and I uh, support my family. I support myself. Why should I care if there are other people that are in need, if there are hungry people around me? I mean, let them take care of themselves the way I take care of myself, right? The attitudes of selfishness kind of have increasing circles that, as we go outward. 
Well, I, I, I care about the people in my tribe, you know. I think the Lord wants us to care for people that are of different race from us, people of different uh, ethnic background, people from different socioeconomic groups, people from different cultures. Nationalism. This is, the, this is selfishness and not caring about others on a national scale. Nationalism is my country first. Who cares about the rest of the world? And uh, that nationalism gave rise to World War I and World War II and can be leading us toward World War III. All we care about is our country and, and looking out for, for our country. What is it that makes America great? I think in the eyes of the world and I think in the eyes of the Lord, what makes America great, and I believe in, in, in America and I'm patriotic, but I think the greatness of America is not that we say America first, to heck with the rest of the world, but it's when we say, how can we help the needy and the poor and the stranger? Should we care about the people in Afghanistan and in Haiti and in Ukraine and in Somalia who are suffering, or should we just look out for America and let them take care of themselves? The needy, the stranger, um, I, I don't think I mentioned, but uh, in the middle of Leviticus 19, this is what the Lord says. You, sh you need to show love for the stranger, for you yourselves were strangers um, in the land of Egypt. And, and the Lord cares for the strangers. That great day of reckoning that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 25, the day when he separates the sheep from the goats, and what does he say to the sheep that are gathered? He says, um, enter, receive the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world by my Father. Because I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. Care for the needy, care for the stranger. The next principle is just simply justice. Doing justice. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 11. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Uh, verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of the hired man are, are not to remain with you all night until morning. The Apostle James, by the way, echoes this in James chapter 5. So much of the New Testament is based on the old, and here on, on Leviticus 19, where he says, the wages of, the, of those who, who, who plowed your fields in which you have withheld cries out, and their cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Lord hears injustice. Here's the root of it in Leviticus 19. The wages of hired men are not to remain with you all night until morning. Going ahead to verse 15. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. In, not doing injustice, judging neighbors fairly, not showing preference to people because they're poor or because they're rich, but treating people with fairness, with integrity. Justice. Justice has two parts. There's what they call distributive justice, which is caring for those who are in need, respecting the rights of each person, seeing that their needs are met. And there's distributive justice, which means punishing the wickedness and uh, evil and um, making sure that crimes and criminals are prosecuted, that justice is done in that sense. So two sides to justice, the Lord cares about both of them. 
But justice is what we're called to do. You know, justice is a noun, but it's also a verb. He says here in Leviticus 19, you're not to do injustice. Remember Micah 6.8. What's the first thing the Lord requires of us? To do justice. Are we doing that? This is a, a vital component of a, a right relationship with our fellow men. And the last thing that I noticed, the last principle in Leviticus 19 in, in regard to uh, walking in holiness in relationship to other uh, humankind, other, other people, is really the most simple and the most basic and the, and the bedrock, the foundation upon which all of the others um, rely, and it's verse 18, Leviticus 19, 18. And this is a verse that I think you have heard before. Leviticus 19, 18 says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. Do you like to get back at people when they insult you and offend you? Do you like to get vengeance? Someone slaps you on the cheek, feel like slapping them harder back? You shall not do that. You shall not bear a grudge. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says, Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. But we often act unlovingly. We often bear grudges. The heaviest burden you may ever have to carry is a grudge. Don't let that thing weigh you down. Some people say, well, I, I'll, for, I'll forgive, but I can never forget what he did to me. That's bearing a grudge. This is a serious spiritual thing, and you're in danger. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, which, as I mentioned, reflects the principles of Leviticus 19 almost exactly. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And he says, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then after he concludes the brief lesson on prayer, Jesus speaks what I think are some of the most sober words I have ever heard and from the mouth of Jesus. If you do not forgive men, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. You bearing a grudge? You better get rid of that. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Of course, this is the second commandment that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gave us the example of to, as to how to do that so we don't have to figure it out. He says, love, love as I have loved you. John 15, 12, a verse that should be emblazoned in our, in our consciousness, John Chapter 15, verse 12. Did Jesus say, this is my suggestion, that you love one another as I have loved you? Now, maybe he said, this would be my preference, that you would love one another as I have loved you. If you know what Jesus said, would you say it together with me slowly? This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. I think the Lord takes this stuff seriously, Leviticus 19, Matthew chapter 6. But we live in a hateful civilization and society. When um, You offend someone, look at them the wrong way, they're ready to pull out a gun and shoot you for it. Uh, we're different. We're not supposed to be conformed to this world. We're supposed to love as the Lord has loved us. 
I don't know how you feel, brothers and sisters, when you read the requirements of the Lord and the Sermon on the Mount and Leviticus 19, Micah 6, and other passages, because Moses really lays a heavy trip on us here, you know, and Jesus does too. The calling is very high. The standard is very demanding. The standard is high. He's shown us what he requires of us, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Now, when I look at my own life and by God's grace and the help of the Holy Spirit, look into my own heart and, and say, I don't think I'm doing very well, Lord. I don't think I am really measuring up. Jesus, you said to me, I, I'm supposed to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. I ain't there. I ain't there. In fact, I don't even know if it's possible for me to be that way, but I don't think the Lord would command us to do something that was impossible. Let, turn with me back, if you will, for a minute to Hebrews chapter 10, the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. This magnificent commentary on the book of Leviticus, not just chapter 10, but all the other passages that Carl referred to in his anointed message last week. The law, you know, we said is just a shadow. It's not the form of the things that are to come. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, he says, you know what? It's impossible. I'm trying to be righteous, trying to make myself good. It's impossible. It's impossible, Hebrews 10, 4, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, who is he? Who's the he being talked about here? This is Yeshua HaMashiach. This is the Messiah. This is the one who died on the cross, the only genuine sacrifice, the only real possibility for holiness. He's come into the world. What does he say when he comes into the world? This is Jesus in prayer to the Father. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've taken no pleasure. Then I, Jesus said to you, Father, then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it's written of me. I have come to do your will, O God. This is my hope brothers and sisters. This is our hope. This is your hope. Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. As Carl made mention last week, John the Baptist told his disciples, pointing toward Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's come, brothers and sisters. This is our hope. Um, verse 14. By one offering, this is the offering of the body of Jesus, by one offering he is perfected for all time, those who are sanctified. Can I make myself perfect? Nope. Can Jesus perfect me? He did that by one offering. And not just me, but all of us and the whole world, all who draw near to God through him. He's our hope. He's our only hope. Father, I want to thank you for 
<clears throat> the words that my brother Carl spoke to us last week about um, pursuing the Holy One. Lord, thank you for revealing to us, Lord, in your word, what you expect of us. Lord, you, you, so, you told us to be holy because you're holy. And Lord, we know you desire fellowship with us, and we do with you also, Lord. And we, we want to obey the commandments of your word and, and live in the principles of your word. But at the same time, we realize that we can't change ourselves, that only you can change us. And so, Lord, we just want to do what Paul told us to do, which is to present our bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to you. This is our spiritual service of worship. And, and Lord Jesus, our hope for righteousness is in you and you alone.